Has someone ever made you a promise and then not keep it? I think all of us have been there at some point, whether it was a friend who said they'd be there and they weren't, or a boss who promised a raise and there wasn't, or a salesman who gave a guarantee that wasn't actually there, or maybe even a politician who said something was going to happen when it never really did. You see, promises are a big deal, and promises are a reflection of someone's character. It's easy to become distrusting, distrusting of people who continually make promises and then they break them. You see, the validity of a promise is dependent upon the character of the promise maker. Let me say that again. The validity of a promise is dependent upon the character of the promise maker. If someone makes a promise and they have this tendency to lie, manipulate, be lazy, be selfish, you can't trust a word that comes out of their mouth, right? But when someone is humble, they're a truth teller, they're trustworthy, they're diligent, they're full of integrity, that you can trust what they say. I put this in your notes on the Westwood app. The Lord is the trustworthy promise maker and the faithful promise keeper. He is the trustworthy promise maker and the faithful promise keeper. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And in Luke chapter 2, we read of a promise that the Lord made to a man named Simeon. And because the Lord always keeps his promise, Simeon experienced the promise of hope. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 2. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I wanted to let you know that uh, coming up this Thursday is Christmas Eve. We'll have two services, one at 2 o'clock and one at 3.30. Now, we're going to do something special this Christmas Eve on Thursday. Is We're going to uh, invite you to come with gifts. And they're going to be different kinds of gifts. One gift we're going to ask you to bring is for the benevolent offering. This is a, an offering that we take up every Christmas Eve as a faith family in which 100% of what you give goes towards meeting the needs of people in our church and in our community. This is tens of thousands of dollars that God, by his grace, allows us as a church to help those who are hungry have a meal, to help people keep the lights on, to help take care of medical bills and other things that they face. This is a gift where our church really gets to be a blessing to those around us. The second gift that we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to bring are canned goods and non-perishable food items. In the past, there's been this tradition called a white Christmas. This was new to me until this week. I didn't know it was called this. But in, in the past, they'd take non-perishable food, like, non food items like canned goods and, and all those other sorts of things, and you wrap it in white tissue paper, and then you, you bring it on Christmas Eve. I didn't know this, and I thought, man, let's do that. And so if you wouldn't mind, just bring non-perishable food items. You don't have to wrap them in white tissue paper if you don't have any. It's okay. But we want to take this food and we want to bless the hungry here in our community. So Christmas Eve, we'll have two services at 2 o'clock and at 3.30. And we want to invite you to come prepared to give. And it's going to be a really neat thing because during the services, uh, we're going to invite you as a family to come forward. And it's a time for you as a parent to show your kids, to model for your kids giving. 
Uh, We're not able to pass baskets in here, but it's an opportunity in which you get to show your kids, this is what we do as God's people. We financially invest for the sake of the gospel. And so I want to invite you to come prepared Thursday to come bless uh, those in our community, not only financially, but also with food. Now, for those of you watching via live stream, you can't hear it, but right now in this room, our baptismal is making a lot of noise. (laughs) And I'm distracted as all get out. And so if this sermon doesn't make sense, we need to get that fixed. (laughs) I love the gospel of Luke. Matthew 1, Luke 2, two places in scripture where we get the story of the birth of Jesus. And the gospel writer of Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. He gives meticulous detail. He gives an orderly account. In fact, he tells us in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, I write these things to you, most excellent Theophilus, Who Theophilus is, we don't really know, but with the name most excellent means he's probably wealthy and he has financially uh, uh, underwritten the project of Luke to do all of his research to gather all of the information he can about Jesus. And so Luke is volume one in the book of Acts is actually volume two. You'll see in Acts chapter one where Luke is writing to Theophilus again. So the the two books go together in many ways. And Luke chapter 2 does a beautiful job describing the birth of Jesus, the story of how he came to this world. Now, in a year like 2020, especially at Christmas, we need to be reminded that hope is here. We have reason to have hope in this world. And hope is not wishful thinking. It's not crossing your fingers. It's not this, boy, I sure hope that this possibility will pan out. We addressed this two weeks ago. Hope is certainty not yet realized. In Scripture, hope is a word that it means it's absolutely going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Well, as followers of Jesus, we above all people have reason to have hope. And Christmas is God's reminder of why. For when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. And in Luke chapter 2, it's where we read of this wonderful birth account of Jesus. We read of the census of the Roman Empire, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, and the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they keep the Levitical laws. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. And after purification, according to the law of Moses, was complete, they went to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. He was dedicated to the Lord as a sacrifice. And while they're at the temple, someone shows up and speaks to the Holy Family and tells them something they would never forget. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, the scripture says this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple when his parents When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. While Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in Jerusalem, fulfilling what was customary according to the law of God, Simeon and Anna approached Jesus with joy and awe. They they knew this was no ordinary baby. The promised Messiah that they had longed to see had finally arrived. You see, Christmas is the celebration that hope is here. And his name is Jesus. This Christmas, let's remember these three truths from here in the text. Let's remember first, the the, the birth of Jesus means it's the arrival of salvation. The arrival of salvation. Simeon was living in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this guy. All we know about him is found here in Luke chapter 2. We know that he was, verse 25, righteous and devout. He was a a godly man who who lived what he believed. He was fully committed to the Lord and to his law. Oh, that God would continue to raise up a generation of men and women who are righteous and devout. Those who walk not according to the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate, meditate day and night. Oh, that God would raise up those who are righteous and devout, fully committed to Christ and to his gospel. You see, in our day and age, Simeon would be scoffed at. Simeon would be belittled and made fun of for being overzealous for Christ. People would say, hey, hey Simeon, don't you think you're taking this God thing a little bit too serious? Simeon, why don't you tone it down a little bit? Take this whole Christ, Messiah thing. You need to tone it down. You're a little bit too offensive. Maybe for you, if you find yourself pacing in this direction where you're going to passionately follow Christ, you're going to be righteous and devout, be prepared for people to say the same thing to you. Why don't you take this Jesus thing a little bit less intense? Can you just calm down a little bit? You don't need to get so animated and worked up into all of this God thing. Calm down a little bit. May it never be said of you that you listen to the advice of fools. How can you give anything less than your best to the Savior who gave you his all? 
being righteous and devout are marks of faithfulness to Jesus. And if you want to be faithful, you got to be ready to swim upstream, to go against the current of culture. It's the hard path. It's the narrow path, but it leads to life. Besides, God has not called you to be liked, by the way. God has called you to be faithful. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to his mission. This is, this is what God has called us to. So man, I challenge you this morning, give your heart to Jesus and follow him with all of you gods. This is what Simeon was doing. He was righteous. He was devout. But notice how the Spirit was all over his life. The Spirit, verse 25, was on him. The Spirit, verse 26, revealed truth to him. The Spirit, verse 27, guided him. And this is true for you as well. When you trust in Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He takes up residence inside of you. He abides, he lives, he remains, and he stays. The third person in the Trinity comes and stays inside of all believers who trust in him. And the more you submit your life to the Spirit, the more the work of God will take place upon your life. The danger is when a believer puts one foot in the world and one foot walking with the Spirit. They're at war with each other. You have to choose. The Lord will not allow you to dance between two ways. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And I challenge you, I admonish you, please make everything about Christ. What is it in your life you're withholding from Jesus? Because he has absolute sovereign lordship over all of your heart and life. If the answer is no, today humble yourself and say, Lord, I want to give myself completely to you. And I yield my life. I submit and I surrender all that I have to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God who teaches you, who corrects you. He encourages you. He convicts you. He leads you in righteousness. He guides you in the path you are to go. And as you submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit rests upon your life. He reveals truth and he guides you in your everyday life. Well, for Simeon, he was Christ-centered before he even knew the Messiah's name. Look at verse 25. It says, he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. That word consolation, it means comforter. That's a word used in the Old Testament to describe the coming Messiah. It's one of his titles, that he is the comforter. Isaiah 25 verse 9 says, look, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You see, Israel was looking forward to the coming one, the coming anointed one, the Messiah, the consolation who would bring salvation. He would bring rescue to all who trust in him. 
And that's what Simeon's doing. He's looking forward to, he's anticipating the arrival of salvation. For, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. God had revealed to Simeon, you will not die until you see the Messiah. What a gift. The Lord promised Simeon, you're going to get to see him. You're going to have this opportunity in which you will see the king. Think of it. For thousands of years, Israel was waiting Where is he? When will he show up? What will he be like? Where is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent? Where is the prophet that's greater than Moses, that's greater than David, that's greater than Solomon, that's greater than Jonah? Where is the true Israel? Where is the true temple? Where is the true Sabbath? Where is the one? When will he get here? after Malachi finished his preaching ministry in the Old Testament. 400 years. God revealed nothing new. Think of it. Israel is waiting for this Messiah, and for 400 years, they were met with silence. And then the Lord spoke to Simeon and said, you will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. And as Mary and Joseph are walking in the temple carrying baby Jesus, the Spirit whispers in Simeon's ear, there he is. Think of it. The true Israel, the true temple is in the temple being held by a carpenter. Oh, what a savior. The one who came so that he's accessible to all people. The one who loves the world. The one who is born born into a blue-collar family. The fulfillment of Israel had finally arrived. This is our salvation. He has come. Hope is here. You see, this Christmas, let us be a people who celebrate that the long-for-awaited Messiah has come just as God promised. Because when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And beloved, there's going to come a day in which you too will see him. Just as the Lord promised Simeon, you're going to see the Messiah. The Lord promises you one day, you're going to see him. You're going to see Jesus. On that day when you are promoted into glory, when you take your last breath and you go on to be with Christ, you will see him. In fact, there's coming a day in which every eye will see him. There's coming a day in which the eastern skies are going to part and the Lord will descend and every eye will see him and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is no ordinary baby. This baby born in Bethlehem is the savior of the world. And so Christmas is the celebration of the arrival of our salvation. Secondly, what we see here in the text 
is let's remember that the birth of Jesus means the eruption of celebration. Simeon took up the baby Jesus in his arms and he worshiped. He praised God and he sang. Verse 29, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace just as you promised. Lord, I am ready to die. <laughs> my plate is full. My heart is satisfied. You kept your word and I am ready to come home to be with you because I have seen your salvation. God, you have kept your promise. Simeon, he got to see the king. He got to see the promised one. Well, Kenneth, who, who did this promised one come for? Well, he tells us here in the text, verse 31, all peoples. Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world for all people. And that's good news for us. For those of us in, in this room and engaging via live stream who aren't Jewish, we don't have Abraham's bloodline going through our veins. We don't have an Israelite pedigree. This is good news because Jesus came for us. He is, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus came for all ethnicities. Black people, white people, brown people, yellow people, red people, tall people, short people, rich people, poor people. He came for all people. Jesus came so that all mankind can be restored back into a right relationship with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do not think for one second that you don't matter to God. In Jesus Christ, God is showing you how much you matter to him. That Jesus came for you. That he gave his life for you. Jesus is evidence of God's love for the world, including you. He came for the Jews. We see here he came for the Gentiles. He came for all peoples. You see what's amazing here is the eruption of celebration of Simeon here in Luke 2. It's a foreshadowing of Revelation 7 in which the apostle John gets a, an opportunity to look into the future. And what does he see? He says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from where? From every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the lamb. John is looking into the future. And he sees a sea of people. You could start counting. One, two, three. Oh, forget it. There's too many to count. Where are they from? All over the world. Ponte ethnos. Every ethnicity gathered around the throne of the Lamb of God. And here is Simeon rejoicing in the birth of the Savior who is the one who is seated on the throne in which people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation are gathered there making much of Christ. What John sees in, in Revelation 7 is me and you. Those who believe the gospel from all over the world throughout all of the ages gathering and worshiping this Savior who was born in Bethlehem. Jesus came for all people, a light for the Gentiles like us. But also, verse 32, 
glory to your people, Israel. It's interesting. In in John chapter 11, we see Jesus going to the town of Bethany, the home of the three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus has died, and by the time Jesus shows up into Bethany, he's been in the tomb for four days. Mary and Martha are distraught, still weeping over the death of their brother. They're brokenhearted at the fact that Jesus wasn't there to save him. In fact, Martha's like, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will at the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Question, do you believe this? Do you bank your soul upon the person and work of Jesus Christ for what he accomplished through the cross and through his resurrection? Do you believe he is the resurrection? Do you bank your soul upon his work and not your own? You're not trusting in your own good works. You're not trusting in your own merit. You're not trusting in worldly philosophy. You're not trusting in your bank account to be sufficient enough to get you into heaven. You're not banking on anything on your own. You're saying, Lord, I'm completely trusting in you and you alone for my salvation. I love Martha's answer. Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Jesus approached the tomb and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And out comes Lazarus. And everyone there Notice what the text goes on to say in John 11. It says, therefore, many, many of the Jews who came to Mary, they saw what he did and believed in him. Jesus came not only for Gentiles, He came for the Jews. He came for Israel. That those who look upon him by faith will be rescued. You see, when you read the four gospels, you see all of these uh, Jews who come to Christ and they see him for who he is. For Simeon knew that this baby is God's anointed one who came to bring salvation. And then Simeon begins to speak into the heart of Mary and Joseph. They begin He begins speaking words of life. Verse 33, they were amazed at what was being said about him. They were astonished. This Christmas, let us bow before this king, this this maker who has come. Let us adore him. Let's erupt in worship and celebration of the king of kings, the desire of nations. Well, then Simeon has a a heart-to-heart with Mary. And he, he prepares her for what is to come and says, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Okay, so this child in your arms is gonna become a stumbling block. Many will reject him. Many will turn away from God because of him. And it's to their own downfall. He's the one who will be rejected, scoffed at. People will shrug their shoulders over this savior question. Is that you? Have you rejected Jesus? 
Have you rejected the opportunity of turning from your sin and trusting in him by faith? Today, run to Christ. If you do not humble yourself and trust in Jesus by faith, you will one day fall into hell forever. That's the reality. And it's a loving thing to know that. It's a loving thing to hear that. But it's loving that God has provided you a way out. He has provided relief and rescue and salvation through his son. Today, run to Christ. Believe the gospel, trust in him, and he will receive you. You see, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him at the cross. Well, for Mary, she would see it and experience the true pain of watching her son die, that death. Verse 35, he tells her that that sweet little boy in her arms would one day die a horrible, painful, agonizing death on the cross. She's going to see evil, terrible men crucify her son. In verse 35, a sword will pierce her soul. She's going to see her son die a terrible death. You see, many hearts will be revealed as hard and cold and apostate, just as the Jews would reject the Messiah, Jesus. You see, Christmas is not just about the birth of Christ. Christmas is the beginning of the story where he goes to the cross, where he gives his life, where he is sacrificed for me and you. Because you and I, we have violated God's law. We have sinned against God, but God loves us. And so Christmas is driving us to Jesus who was born, lived perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved at the cross and was raised on the third day offering eternal life to all who believe upon him. So we see in the text that Christmas is about the celebration, the eruption of celebration, the arrival of salvation, but thirdly, it's the mission of proclamation. It's the mission of proclamation. As Simeon is speaking over the Holy Family, Luke tells us that Anna, a prophetess, comes up and she thanked God for this baby. Here's a woman who's more than 100 years old, married for seven, widowed for 84, and she's thanking God, thanking the Lord for the gift of this child. For more than eight decades, verse 37, she didn't leave the temple. She prayed and fasted. She sought the Lord. She is one who fulfills Psalm 84, verse 10, where she would declare with her life, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This is Anna. She loved the Lord. And as she approaches this baby cooing in Simeon's arms, she thanked God for his arrival. And she began to proclaim to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel, to those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, the Messiah has finally come. Now remember, this is not a Hallmark Christmas time. There's no snow or sledding or people caroling from door to door. This is a time of warfare, political unrest, heavy Roman taxation and persecution, and a psychotic leader in Herod the Great. So with political unrest and fear of the future, who does that sound like? Jesus comes on the scene and his arrival, it brings joy to all who are looking forward to his arrival. And here is Anna ready to preach the good news. Proclaim, oh, he's come, Messiah is here. In fact, that's the impact point this Christmas. Praise 
and proclaim Jesus because he is your promised Messiah. As we celebrate this week, the celebration of the arrival of Jesus, let us be a people who praise Jesus and we proclaim Jesus. We worship him and we tell the world the good news of who he is and what he came to do. Because he is a God who keeps his promise. And his promise is that in his son, we have hope now.